0: This week, my family—we uh, were together, and my aunt, uh, who was my dad's little sister, uh, she has been going through my grandmother's uh, belongings and through, or through my grandparents' stuff, and trying to kind of figure out what is worth keeping, what is worth uh, throwing away, or what's what she's thrown away. And so she brought us like six boxes of stuff for me to scan in uh, for of pictures and letters and all kinds of stuff. And so. The other morning I sat at the table and I began going through these things. And one of the things that caught my eye was a letter from my grandfather. He was living in Texas at Kelly Field in the Air Force Base training navigators. The date on that letter was July 24th, 1941. And my grandfather wrote a letter to my grandmother uh, who is in Miami in school. And he made this comment, did you find out that ring size? I guess maybe I'm getting in too great a hurry, or do you think the same as I do, the sooner the better? And I read those words and to think through as my grandfather would write those and pin those words and mail that letter over to my grandmother in Miami. And then there's another letter, if you kind of fast forward the story a little bit, they get married. And then another letter that I came upon that I just loved, I've told y'all stories before, my one of my favorite family members uh, is, was my great uncle Milton. And Milton is my, the younger brother of my grandfather. And I uh, came across this letter. I scanned it in so y'all could see it because uh, the handwriting is just gorgeous. Uh, but it says there at the top, you can see somewhere in Belgium. Notice the date, November the 8th, 1944. It's exactly to the day six months before V-Day. And my great uncle is in Belgium. He's writing a letter to his brother, uh, who is now married to Harriet. And my dad is about 13 months old. So you can see there, Herman, Harriet, and David writing to baby David. And he writes this letter and it's just a a beautiful letter. Uh, But it's a letter of what's going on, what he saw in England, what he's seeing in Belgium. And he writes there about uh, in Belgium as people are coming back uh, into their homes after the bombardment and having all of their possessions. And he, uh, the little, the side note over there says if they've, they've brought all of their possessions in a cart and it's just pathetic to see all of, all of what they have. And he writes these, these letters and there's just, there's all kinds of them. There's telegrams, there's letters. In this letter, he asks my grandfather to buy him a watch he says, I just need a watch. And then he says, I need it to be shockproof, waterproof, illuminated dial. He goes through all of those things as a military uh, man might need. But I, I read through all that. And this is, this is part of my heritage. This is part of, of our family. It's part of who, who we are. And to read through and to hear these stories and to be reminded of the beauty of these stories that all of us come from somewhere. Today, we're going to look at a passage, and it's a passage that is not the most exciting of the passages that we read in John's gospel. It's a, go- it's a passage that's almost kind of boring, uh, but it's a passage that goes back and asks the questions of where does Jesus come from? So before we look at that, let me kind of ask another question, which the question is, how, how do you introduce yourself So if you meet someone for the first time, what are the things that you say? What are the things that are important to you to make sure that people know about you? All right, so we're going to play a little game, all right? Are you all ready for this? We don't play a game a lot on Sunday mornings, but here's a game. I have gone on Instagram, and I have found three people, and I have written down the description of themselves that attend our church, and all three of these people are here today, which is pretty incredible, all right? So I'm going to read the description and then y'all get to the first one is really, really easy. If you don't get this one, uh, then you're probably a visitor. So uh, I'll just say that. All right. So the very first one, these are real Instagrams. Some of you are nervous over like, what did I put on Instagram? All right. Here's the first description. you ready? Registered nurse, mom to Garen, which this needs to be updated because she only has one kid, wife of a youth pastor, child of God. Anybody? Tara, all right. Tara, is that, you? is that you? You need to update that. You've got two kids now. Okay. So. All right, here's another one. This one's a little bit, it might be a little bit harder. Teacher, runner, baker. Anybody? Sam Manning, all right. So, do what? Yeah, that, that, well, I wasn't gonna say, Sam, you need to start running again. So it's Tom. All right. Um, That was a challenge for Sam. All right. Here's the third one. This is the best one. All right. It's a conversation. It's going to be a little harder to get. But it's a conversation. So the conversation starts off with the Mad Hatter. And the Mad Hatter says, have I gone mad? And then Alice says, I'm afraid so. You're entirely bonkers. But I'll tell you a secret. All the best people are. Who would use that to describe themselves? Told you this one's harder. You're all looking around the room. All right, it is Alyssa DeFreeze. Woo she has the best, she has the good one. So I actually, I ran that one by her. The other ones I did not, uh, but that one's really good. So if you didn't hear it, have I gone mad? I'm afraid so, you're entirely bonkers, but I'll tell you a secret, all the best people are. So that's a really good one, Alyssa. So how how do we introduce ourselves? What are the things that we tell people about ourselves? We talk about our job or our faith or our family, but all of these are asking the same question of where, where do I come from or what is my family story? What are the things about my family that that people need to hear? What what is the baggage, good or bad, that I bring into this world, into these relationships? What what is my story? And some things I want you to see before we look at this passage is, is, first off, where we come from matters. However, we aren't bound to that story. Now, this is positive and negative. For some of us, we come from a great heritage. I come from a great heritage. When I tell y'all stories about Milton Parish, the stories that I tell of a man that was a pastor, that was a missionary, uh, this week I read the description. When he took a church in Baltimore, they wrote a letter out to the church to describe his family. and, And I read that for the first time this week. It was in those documents. And to hear the things that they said about him, things that I knew and things that I didn't know, But those are a great heritage and some of us have that great heritage, but I'm not bound to that heritage. I could make it greater or I could make it worse. And some of you also, the heritage that you come from is nothing that you're proud of. And the good news is, is you're not bound to that heritage either. You can make it something great. You can change a family story. That we can continue a family story, we can change it for the good, or we can change it for the bad. But where we come from does matter. It does inform who we are, but it's not something that we are bound to. And the other thing I want you to see as we look at this is that our bigger story helps us find our place in this world. That it helps us make sense of who we are. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage that is really kind of Jesus's bigger story. Now, the other part of this that I, I think sometimes we look at this passage, and as a preacher, when you look at the, the, the way that they lay out the, the lectionary and the passages, and you're like, oh my goodness, the first Sunday of the year, the genealogy of Jesus, no one cares about genealogy. And for the most part, nobody does, unless you start looking around on the internet and you see how many websites there are about genealogy. People really do care. And so today I want to look at this, this passage with you and then I'm gonna kind of talk through some points and some things that I want you to see. But let's go through this passage, Matthew chapter one. We're gonna see how many of these names I can get wrong. So just know, uh, it's, it's, I'm gonna mess up. So here we go. Chapter one, verse one, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zariah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Amadimadab, you wanna go with that? Amadimadab fathered uh, Nashon, Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered uh, Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. And Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. This is why you all got up this morning, just remember. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. Josiah fathered Jehoiakim. Thank you, Connie, that was very good. And his brothers at the time of the exile in Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jehoiakim fathered. Sheltiel, Sheltiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abed, Abed, uh, Abed fathered Elakim, Elakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Akim, Akim fathered Eliad, Eliad fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Mathan, Mathan fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary who gave birth to Jesus who was called the Messiah. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. All right, there we have it. Y'all all feel blessed this morning? So how does knowing the bigger story of Jesus help us understand who he is? This morning, what I wanna do is I wanna look and we're gonna walk through one of them kind of slowly, but then we'll walk through the other ones kind of quickly. But in this story and in this genealogy, there are five women mentioned. And these five women are important women in this story. And I want you to see them because they begin to help us understand the bigger story of what's going on and the bigger story of who Jesus is. So these five women that are listed are Tamar, or Tamar Rahab, Ruth it does not list Bathsheba but it does list Uriah's wife which was Bathsheba all right good y'all are doing y'all did better on that one than the other quiz and then Mary all right so these are the five ladies that are listed now there's kind of an obvious point here that the fact that women are even listed in a genealogy is is an odd piece of this story for this time period but not only are they listed, but if you look at these ladies, they, these stories are a mess. And for us, we, we, not that long ago, we went through the story of Bathsheba and most of us probably know Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute, but I wanna spend just a little bit, we'll spend the most time talking about Tamar. Because this is a story for a lot of us that we don't know and it is not a good story. It is not a pretty story. But the story of Tamar happens in Genesis chapter 38. In the middle of the Joseph story, we take a one chapter break to learn about one of Joseph's brothers, Judah. And what we learn about Judah is, is that Judah marries a Canaanite named Shua and they have three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And Ur marries a Canaanite woman named Tamar. Well, Ur is evil in the sight of the Lord is kind of what the verse says. And Ur dies pretty quickly. He has no children or has no sons. And so what they would do in tradition is is if the older brother passed away, his wife would go down to the next brother because it's all about genealogy. It's all about preserving the line. And so in preserving this line, he would then marry Onan. And Onan is very clear that he has no interest in having a child with Tamar. And so Judah, the brother of Joseph, is in a bad spot. And so Judah tells her, you know what? If you just wait and my youngest son, when he gets old enough, you can marry him. So Tamar waits. And then Tamar realizes somewhere in here that this is never going to happen that what her role in life is to produce a son, it is to continue her line, that this is never going to happen. And so she takes the matter into her own hands. And in doing so, she goes and she dresses like a prostitute and goes to a shrine and there waits for Judah. And Judah comes and her face is covered and finds her beautiful and hires the prostitute. But he doesn't have money to pay. And so the money that he's going to pay is going to be an animal. And so he uh, is going to go home and get this animal. But then in order to make sure that he pays, he leaves behind three things, a signet ring, a cord, and a staff. Y'all remember the story yet? So he leaves these things behind. Then he comes back. He has a slave bring this animal back to the shrine. They don't know who this temple prostitute is. They can't find her. And then as the story progresses, they find out that Tamar is pregnant. Well, guess what? Judah is infuriated because his daughter-in-law is pregnant. And so what is he going to do? He's going to have her killed. And so he goes to have her killed and she says, I will tell you who impregnated me. I have some of his items. I have a ring and I have a cord. And he hands it over to him or she hands it over to him. And he realizes these are his items, that she was the temple prostitute. And then she has twins, Perez and Zara. Now this isn't this isn't a pretty story, and I tell you this story because this is one that for most of us we don't know or we don't remember, but it's not a pretty story. And it's a story that's a part of Jesus's life. It's a story that is a part of his genealogy. That when Matthew lays out the genealogy of Jesus, this is one of the people that he points to. The other thing that we see is we kind of can walk down through these five women. And when we walk down through these five women, there's a lot going on here. None of these women, with the exception of Mary, were Jewish women. Tamar was a Canaanite, Rahab was a Canaanite, Ruth was a Moabite, Bathsheba, we're not sure what she was, but a lot of people think the reason she's listed the way she is in Matthew's gospel is because people know that Uriah was a Hittite, and Uriah, and so we could assume that she was a Hittite, so we're not sure what she was, but we can make the assumption that her husband was a Hittite, so she probably was as well. They don't have this great Jewish genealogy behind them. We also know that each one of these ladies is a bit suspect. Tamar played the prostitute in the story I just told you. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth, we don't know the whole story, but there's innuendo. There's a whole issue with the threshing floor and Boaz, and there's innuendo there that we don't fully know what the innuendo means, but innuendo usually means what it means. So we have that going on. Bathsheba, uh, had uh, a child with David or had multiple children with David. And y'all know, we went through that story a few weeks ago. So we have the story of of Bathsheba. And then Mary, as we've talked about, was a virgin. And at the time of giving birth to Jesus was unmarried. This this isn't a real great look, is it? I mean, if, if we're bringing about the son of God to the world, this this isn't the... This is a bit of a mess. And and I bring all of this up because I want you to to have the question before you of how is knowing this story? how, How does knowing the bigger story of who Jesus is, where Jesus comes from, how does knowing the big story help us understand who he is? How does this story help us understand something about where Jesus comes from? How does this help us? What does it mean for us today? What I want you to hear this morning, and as we walk into Matthew's gospel, is that the story of Jesus's family is a story of brokenness. And it's a story of, and I put quotation marks around it on purpose, a story of unusable people being vessels of God's action. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, Mary are all women that if we just look at the story, we would say these aren't people that God could use. But when we look at the beauty of Jesus's family, we see a story of brokenness. And we see people that we would not have chosen, that the biblical narrative would not have chosen to be people that are not just used by God, but are vessels of God's action in this world. You see, guys, I hope that that begins to stir something inside of us, that it begins to help us realize that all of us come to this story, that we all come to this life with brokenness. That our brokenness sometimes shows up as defensiveness, that our brokenness sometimes shows up as lonely or isolated, that sometimes we deal with anger because of our brokenness or we're fearful Sometimes we're self-absorbed because we are broken or we're addicted or we're dishonest. Whatever it is that we come to this story broken. And Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary remind us that no matter how broken you might think you are, that you can be a vessel for what God is doing in the world. The story of Tamar is, is a, it's a mess. But it's through Tamar that we begin to see this story. It's through Tamar that Ruth, it's through Tamar that we have Jesse. It's through Tamar that we have King David. And God was in the middle of working in their brokenness in the same way that God wants to work in your brokenness. Now this morning, we are technically beginning our gospel in Matthew. We've, we've looked at one passage already, but, but today's kind of the day that it all starts, the new year. And in starting our gospel in Matthew, I've been trying to kind of think of what's, what's a theme that we could kind of carry through this entire thing from now through Easter. Well, what would be our theme? And what I hope you see as we walk through Matthew's gospel is I hope you see a theme. The theme is this, that God enters through brokenness. That God has entered this world in Jesus Christ, but he entered in through what? What? Through the brokenness. Now these are just five of the people in this story. We could go through and there's plenty of brokenness in these other lives. But God enters through brokenness. And it's always surprising. Always transforming grace of God. That God enters into our world through brokenness that maybe the brokenness we have in our lives on this first day of the year, maybe it's a brokenness that's a part of your story, but it's a part of your story that God says, I want to use that to come into this world. I want to use that to show who I am in someone else's life. I want to use your brokenness, your loneliness, your anger, your fear, I want to use your addiction. I want to use the places in your life where you have been dishonest. I want to use these things as vessels to show who I am, to live through your life. God enters through the brokenness. It's always surprising, but it's always transforming grace of God. When Matthew wrote his gospel, the people that heard these words knew the brokenness. They knew these stories. But they saw how God came into this world through brokenness. This morning, as we come together on this first day of the year, my hope and my prayer is that whatever brokenness that we bring today is a brokenness that we can come to leave at this altar to say, God, I don't know how you can use this pain, this hurt, this brokenness. God, I want to see how you live through it. I want to come and to give this brokenness to you. Whatever hurt, whatever pain that we bring today, to see that there is a story of a God who comes through the brokenness. It's surprising and it's transforming. Today, as we close, we're gonna close, as we have been closing, that if you would like to come and pray with a pastor, Pastor James will be right over here at this altar. He would love to be able to pray with you. If you would like to pray and be anointed for healing for any reason, Uh, emotional, physical, uh, spiritual, that I would love the opportunity to pray with you right here at this altar. But our other two altars, maybe for some of us, we just need to come and bring our brokenness. And to say, God, I, I have always seen this part of my life is unusable. God, how can you use it? Use my brokenness as a vessel for you in this world. Let us stand as we sing.